Very good. Well, it's our privilege today to have Reverend Owen Lee with us. He, uh, as Frank told you earlier, spoke at our officers' retreat this weekend. Owen is the pastor of Christ Central Presbyterian Church in Centerville, uh, Virginia, having come from California, hearing God's call to the promised land. And uh, so he's been here about five years. God has used him powerfully in that church, and we are so grateful. This weekend, uh, we, we heard lots of things, but one of the things we heard is the gospel is not just for people who make a mess, which is all of you, but it's also for people who are a mess, which is also all of you. Um, and that really struck me, so you may hear that again. But anyways, please welcome my friend, Owen Lee. All right. Is it on now? All right. Was uh, Dr. Dave said, I had the pleasure of being with the officers this weekend and let me just tell you, Potomac Hills, you are a blessed church because you are served by godly men who love Jesus, who love one another. It's very evident that they love one another and they love this church. Um, elders and deacons who love Jesus and love this church, that's a blessing. And you are a blessed church. Um, as uh, Dr. Dave said, I don't consider myself coming to the promised land. I, I saw myself as a missionary <laughs> coming to Northern Virginia. <laughs> but Virginia is a very different place from California, and I did have to put on my missionary goggles because uh, uh, the culture here is different, and um, it's very different. But, uh, but Virginia is my home now. Uh, I've been here five years. I have three kids. My oldest is a 16-year-old. No, no, she's 15. Uh, <laughs> uh, she's a sophomore in high school. I have a 13-year-old son. He's a seventh grader, and I have an 11-year-old daughter, and she's my sixth grader. Love my family. And I love it that we're here. We get to call Virginia home. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about the discipline that God our Father brings into our lives. It's a, it's a hard topic, but I think it's also a very important topic. The year 2011, about six years ago, was a crazy and tumultuous year in my life. Uh, 2011 is what I like to call the tale of two lives. You see, there was a life that I had planned to live. <laughs> And then there was a life that I actually lived, two very different lives. You see, the life that I planned to live in 2011 was a life filled with ministry fruitfulness. I envisioned a year where the church that I had planted and pastored for nearly 10 years would undergo some deep and significant changes for the better. My plan was to have our church be radically changed by the transforming power of the gospel and for our church to take our mission seriously, which was to take, uh, to advance the gospel where God had placed us. That was my plan for my life, and I thought it was a great plan. Surely God would uh, bless a plan like that. But God had a very different plan for my life. You see, by the end of 2011, I had experienced the most difficult and exhausting and frustrating season of my life as a pastor. 
I found myself in constant and draining conflict with key leaders of our church over the new vision and direction of our church. You see, I wanted our church to go in this direction, but they wanted the church to go in that direction. And ultimately, it led to a very difficult but necessary separation. By November of 2011, I resigned from the church that I planted and pastored for nearly 10 years. It was one of the most painful things I've ever experienced in my life. You see, there was a life that I had planned for myself, and then there was the life that God had planned for me. And guess whose plan won? God's plan. But guess whose plan was better? God's plan. Amen. As you look forward to the rest of this year and to the coming years, I'm sure that you have plans for your life. Plans for what you want to do. Plans for where you want to go. Plans for what you want to experience. But how many of you are planning for yourselves personal disappointments and professional setbacks? Go ahead. Raise your hand <laughs> if you're planning that for yourself. <laughs> Nobody, right? Nobody plans things for themselves which will bring pain or sadness, anger, or fear. But guess what? God, your Father in heaven who loves you, he has planned hard and difficult things for you. Now, as you hear me say that, you might be thinking to yourself, but why? Why, why in the world would God do that? Isn't it God's job to bless me and to keep my life easy and safe? Isn't it God's job to prevent suffering from entering into my life? Why in the world would God intentionally plan suffering and pain for me? I don't get it. I don't understand. That's a good and honest question. Well, here's the answer. It's because your Father in heaven who loves you, and because he loves you, he will bring discipline into your life. And according to the Bible, that's the way a wise and loving and sovereign God treats and trains his children, the children that he loves. So today we're going to talk about the Father's discipline. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to read from verse 3 to verse 11. Our text today talks about the discipline that God brings into the lives of his children. This is the word of our God. Would you please give it your careful attention? Do you guys stand for the reading of God's word here? Or no? Sometimes. Can I ask you to stand for the reading of God's word? This is the word of our God. Would you please give it your careful attention? Consider him, that is Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. 
Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So according to verse 11, the discipline that God our Father brings into our lives is painful, not pleasant. God's discipline comes to you through anything and everything that is painful and unpleasant in your life right now. Whatever is causing you pain, whatever will cause you pain, that is a form and a means of God's discipline in your life. Maybe you hate your job. Maybe you have an irritating and unreasonable boss that you have to work for. Or maybe you have an obnoxious coworker that you can't stand. Or maybe an incompetent coworker who doesn't seem to carry his weight. Maybe you lost your job and you're afraid because you don't know how you're going to pay the bills and the bills keep coming. Or maybe you still have a job, but the money's so tight and you're stressed and anxious. You don't know how you're going to make ends meet. Maybe you failed at something you really wanted to, uh, to succeed at. Maybe you applied to that law school or to that medical school and you didn't get in. Or maybe you wanted that job or that promotion, but they wanted to go in another direction. Or maybe you're single. What you really want to do is get married and start a family. It just seems like everyone else is finding someone but not you. And as you're getting older, you're beginning to lose hope that you're ever going to find your someone special. Or maybe you're married and there's tension and distance in your marriage. Maybe you're realizing that your spouse isn't who you thought he or she would be when you first married him or her. And you feel like everyone else is happily married but you. And... You never thought it could happen to you, but you realized you're unhappily married. Maybe you've even thought about divorce. Or maybe your kids aren't thriving in school the way you wish they would, at school or at sports or at art, whatever it is. You want to see them thrive, but they're struggling. Or maybe you're a parent of a teenager, and your teenager is driving you crazy like my 15-year-old does every other day. Just making dumb choice after dumb choice and just bringing hurt and harm upon herself. Or maybe your in-laws are a pain in the butt. Or maybe you're sick or someone you love is really sick. You see, whatever's causing you pain, whatever's making you angry or afraid or anxious, Whatever is breaking your heart or making your, or making your blood boil, whatever is keeping you up at night or making you cry yourself to sleep, whatever is making you want to run away, just run away from it all, whatever that is, that is God's fatherly discipline in your life. And it can be extremely painful at times. And when God brings discipline into your life, it's not if, but when, when he brings it into your life, you can respond in one of three ways. 
The first way you can respond to discipline is by despising it, right? According to verse 5, this is when you respond by regarding lightly, by despising the discipline of the Lord. This is when you hate it. This is when you get angry with God, you get angry at God. This is when you say something like this. Of course, you would never say it out loud, but this is the inner monologue in your head. It goes something like this. How can God do this to me after all that I've done for him? I mean, I go to church every Sunday. I even tithe. I try not to sin. I read my Bible. I pray. I even serve in the nursery all the time. After I've even gone on mission trips. I volunteer in the shelter. After all that I've done for God, this is how he treats me. It's not fair. I deserve better than this. Again, you would never say this out loud. It's the monologue in your head, isn't it? This is the I shake my fist at God response to his discipline. Years ago, an NFL football player by the name of Stevie Johnson dropped a very catchable, very easy pass in the end zone. That would have won for his team a very important game. But he dropped it, and his team lost. After the game, uh, Stevie tweeted God. I didn't know God had a Twitter account, but I guess God does. And Stevie tweeted God this message. I praise you 24-7, and this is how you do me? You expect me to learn from this? How? I'll never forget this, ever. Some of you remember that tweet, right? You see, when God sovereignly sends pain or loss or disappointment into your life, you can respond by despising it. Let me warn you, if you do, you will become an angry and bitter person. Angry and bitter at other people, angry and bitter at the world, and ultimately angry and bitter at God. This is the I hate thee response to God's discipline. The second way you can respond to God's discipline is by uh, by being devastated by it, right? If the first one is to, be, is to despise it, then the second one is to, to be devastated by it. According to verse 5, this is when you respond by becoming weary. This means that you lose heart. Maybe you begin to lose hope. If the first response is the I hate thee response, the second response is the I hate me response. And this is when you say something like this. Again, this is your inner monologue. God must be punished me for something I did. It's because I've been so bad. It's because I've sinned so much that this terrible thing is happening in my life. God must not love me anymore. God must have rejected me. Nothing good ever happens in my life, and it's all my fault. I hate my life. I hate myself. People who respond in this way get depressed, filled with self-hate self and self-loathing, and they mope around feeling sorry for themselves. You see, if the first response is to get mad at God, the second response is to get mad at yourself. Now, I've been a pastor for over 20 years. I know what you're thinking. Did he start ministry when he was 10? <laughs> Just kidding. Believe it or not, I'm 45. People tell me I look 30, but, you know, I'll take that. But over the past 20 years of pastoral ministry, I have walked alongside people who have suffered very deeply. I've stood next to a friend who had to bury his 10-year-old daughter who died unexpectedly in her sleep. I've stood next to two men in their 30s 
who both lost their wives to breast cancer when they were just 32 and 34. I still remember performing a burial service for a child. Until then, I had never seen a casket for a child. Have you ever seen one of those? And I remember the parents wailing, not just crying, wailing. Have you ever heard parents wail at the funeral service of their six-month-old child? In 20 years of pastoral ministry, I have seen God's people suffer. And I have seen both responses. I have seen people get mad, so mad at God, shake their fist at God. And I've seen people get mad at themselves, blaming themselves for something they must have done. And sometimes I've seen both responses from the same people. One day hating God, the next day hating themselves, back and forth, just mad. They're just mad. They have to blame someone. It's so hard. But those two ways of responding, either by despising discipline or by being devastated by it, are not the proper ways to respond. There is a third way to respond, which is the proper way to respond. And that is to be developed by it, to be developed. And you let discipline develop you when you endure it, verse 7. When you submit to it, verse 9. When you get trained by it, verse 11. Enduring, submitting, and being trained. That is the way to be developed by discipline. And that, my friends, is the response of faith. That is the proper way for God's children to respond to God's fatherly discipline. But you might be thinking to yourself, but why? Why should I endure and submit and be trained by God's discipline in my life when it's so painful? We're not just talking about the flu here, folks. We're talking about something that actually breaks your heart and you feel like your life is coming undone. Why should we trust? Well, we can do that because you as a Christ follower believe God's word. And God's word tells us, tells us that God's discipline is loving and it's purposeful. It's loving and it's purposeful. Verse 6 says that the Lord disciplines the one that he loves. In order for us to understand that God's discipline is loving, we need to understand the difference between discipline and punishment. You see, discipline is not the same thing as punishment. God disciplines us, but he does not punish us. Big difference. You see, every single one of us in this room, we're sinners. We have all sinned against God. We have all loved something or someone more than God. We've all valued some created thing more than the creator. And we have all sinned against others. We have all used people or even hurt people in order to get what we wanted. We may try to deny it or excuse it, but deep down we know it's true. We are sinners. And the Bible says that we all deserve punishment for our sins. You see, punishment is an expression of God's wrath against sin. But the gospel says that God gave the punishment that you and I deserved to another. The punishment that we deserved was given to Jesus so that on the cross, as our substitute, Jesus received all the punishment that you and I deserved for our sins. Jesus, in his own body and soul, experienced the punishment and the hell that you and I deserved. Jesus took all our punishment. There is none left. Amen. 
there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, that's the gospel. That Jesus on the cross willingly received the punishment that you and I deserve for our sins. And he did that because he loves us. As Pastor Tim Keller loves to say, you're so bad that Jesus had to die for you. But at the same time, you're so loved that Jesus was glad to die for you. So punishment is an expression of God's wrath. But discipline is an expression of God's love for his forgiven children. You see, God has promised to never punish us in anger. That's good news, amen? God has promised that he will never punish us in anger. But he also made another promise. And that promise is that he will discipline us in love. God's discipline will hurt. But it will never harm us. Verses 7 and 8 tell us that if God disciplines us, then it proves that we, that we really do belong to him as his sons and daughters. A few years ago when my middle child, my son Caleb, was about 8 years old, uh, he did something wrong and I had to discipline him. And now as I was getting ready to discipline my son, my 8-year-old son desperately asked this question, Dad, 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 how can you discipline me if you really love me? I don't understand. You see, for my eight-year-old son, pain and love were incompatible. He was basically asking, how can you intentionally give me pain if you truly love me? Now, if you're a parent, then you know how silly and how immature that kind of thinking is, right? But before you judge my son, let me ask you a question. Aren't you just like my son? How many times have you said to God in your heart, God, how can you bring pain into my life if you truly love me? And God answers us the same way that I answered my son. Son, I discipline you precisely because I love you. My discipline is an expression of my love for you and my commitment as your father to seek what's best for you. So the first reason we can be developed by discipline is because it comes from a father who loves us. Discipline is loving. Secondly, it's also purposeful. According to verse 10, our father in, he uh, our father in heaven disciplines us for our good. You see, the pain in your life is not pointless. I know it feels pointless at times, but it's not. It's purposeful. Verse 10 says that the purpose of God's discipline is that we might share in God's holiness. Verse 11 says that the purpose of God's discipline is that it might yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness in our lives. So the purpose of God's discipline in your life is to sanctify you and to transform you into the likeness of Jesus. Did you know that God cares more about your character, and your comfort. God cares more about your faith than your finances. God cares more about your love increasing than your luxury increasing. God cares more about your sanctification than your success. And sometimes God will take away your comfort to give you more character. And sometimes God will take away your finances to give you more faith. 
And sometimes God will take away your luxury to give you more love. And sometimes God will take away your health to give you more humility. And God will take away your successes to give you more sanctification. You see, the purpose of God's fatherly discipline, as painful as it is, is to transform us and to make us more like Jesus. And that, my friends, is the most loving thing that God our Father could ever do for you and for me, to make us more like Jesus and to conform us into the image of Jesus. And in God's marvelous and infinite wisdom, the means that God has chosen to do that, to make that happen, are the things that cause you pain, the very things that you and I try to avoid with all of our hearts, right? Think about it. If you had the power of Almighty God, what would you plan for yourself? How many of you are old enough to remember that Jim Carrey movie, Bruce Almighty? All right, some of you, right? You're God. What would you plan for yourself? I know exactly what you plan for yourself because you plan for yourself exactly what I would plan for myself. <laughs> you would plan for yourself a lot of money, health for you and everyone you love, luxury, comfort, fame, celebrity, Success at whatever you do, whatever you touch turns into gold. That's what you would uh, plan for yourself. Whatever would maximize your pleasure, minimize your pain, that's what you would plan for yourself. Every single one of us. We would never plan for ourselves for, or for our loved ones pain or cancer or bankruptcy or children who hate us and run away financial stress and disappointments, physical injuries, we would never plan those kinds of things for ourselves, ever. But thank God that God has planned things for our lives that we would never plan for ourselves. And thank God that his plans for us always trump our plans for ourselves. You see, our plan is to make ourselves happy, but God's plan is to make us holy. God's plan is higher, wiser, and better than our plans for ourselves ever could be. So what? So what's the proper way to respond to God's discipline when it shows up in your life? And if you're God's son or daughter, it will show up in your life. Simply by saying this, Father, I don't know why you're allowing me to go through this. It's so hard and it hurts so much. But as I look to the cross, to the place where Jesus died for me, I know that you love me and I trust your promise that all things, even this hard thing, will work together for my good, for my sanctification. So even though I don't understand why everything is happening the way it's happening, I will trust you and I will endure this. And I will let it form and shape me into the likeness of Jesus. I love you, and I trust you through the tears. Friends, that's the way to be developed by God's discipline in your life. In the months to come, in the years to come, God will bring unplanned and unpleasant things into your life, things that will make you cry. Francis Chan is a pastor and author, and he said that some of the greatest things that have happened in his life are things that he did not plan. You see, by November of 2011, something happened in my life that I did not plan. 
I resigned from the church that I planted and pastored for 10 years. I don't know if you know this, but no church planter plans to resign from the church that he planted. That's just not in the plan. Do you know what my plan was? My plan was to retire from the church after 35 years of amazing ministry. And then for the church to not throw me a party, but to throw me a parade. <laughs> and then say, Pastor Owen, I mean, we love you. Anyone we get after you is going to be a big disappointment. No one's going to measure up. No one's going to fill your shoes. We love you. We can't bear the thought of you retiring. That was my plan for my life. Great plan, right? Not so much. But thank God that that wasn't God's plan for me. You know what God's plan for me was? For me to experience one of the most painful things in my life as I experienced a very significant failure. See, all the church experts said that it's really, really hard to lead a church through change. But I thought I could do it. I planted this church. They love me here. If there's anyone that can lead a church through a significant change, it's me. So, I mean, I got to work. I mean, I rolled up my sleeves and I worked harder than I've ever worked. I prayed more than I've ever prayed. It's a good thing to pray, right? And I prayed a lot. I met with our key leaders, our elders, and I tried to persuade them of this beautiful gospel-centered vision that I believe that God has given to me and to our church. And I talked and I persuaded, I cajoled, I did everything I could. But the harder I tried, just the more resistant they seemed to get. And I finally had to utter those two words that every overachieving Asian American is terrified to say. I failed. I'll be very honest with you. It's a lot easier for me to say I sinned than I failed. I'd rather say I sinned than I failed, to be honest. But the failure that I experienced was not meant to harm me, but to humble me and to make the gospel more real to my own heart. You see, through what happened, I personally came to grasp the gospel at the heart level. And let me explain what I mean by that. You see, in my head, I know that there's nothing I can do to make God love me more. There's nothing I can do to make God love me less. I know that I preach that a million times. But at the heart level, I tend to believe something different. Do you know what I tend to believe? God will love me a little bit more if I do well in ministry, if I perform well. And God will maybe not reject me, but he'll just begin to tolerate me, you know, when I don't perform so well. We live in a culture where it's all about performance, and you all know it, right? Northern Virginia, it's all about performance. I remember coming here five years ago, and RG3 was your Messiah. <laughs> he was your, I mean, people talked about him as if he was Jesus, the Redskins and RG3 returning to the glory days. You guys loved RG3 when he was performing well. And then what happened after he got injured and started not perform so well? Y'all drove him out of town. Y'all turned on him. <laughs> it was scary. And to be honest, as a pastor, it's very easy for me to bring that performance mentality into ministry. I think to myself, if I perform well, then God will love me more. But if I don't, 
They just tolerate me. I mean, God really loves Tim Keller, right? <laughs> but me, just tolerated. I still remember that Monday morning after my last Sunday at my old church as I drove the U-Haul down the 5 freeway to clear out my office. And I remember feeling like a complete and total failure. Has anyone here ever had to clear out their office? Anyone? It's hard, right? You know what makes it even harder? When you created the office. And they ask you to clear out the office that you set up. Everything that I'd worked for for 10 years was gone. It was all gone. And I couldn't believe it was ending like that. But as I was driving, I had some gospel music playing. And I started to listen to the words. And then it hit me. The gospel is still true. God still loves me. Jesus still bled for me. His spirit still indwells me. God is still my father even though I failed and performed poorly. And as I began to listen more deeply to those words, I began to cry. And I cried because the gospel is true. God doesn't just love sinners. God also loves failures. Just as my sins can never separate me from the love of Christ, neither can my failures. You see, friends, the gospel is good news, not for perfect people who never sin or who never fail, but for broken people like me, for people who sin and for people who do fail, for people who need grace. Raise your hands if you need grace this morning. All of us do, right? Through the pain of failure, I came to a deeper and a better grasp of the gospel at the heart level. I was a pastor without a church. And I don't know if you know this, but that's hard to be a pastor without a church. It means you can't point to a group of people and say, look who I lead, look what I did. There's nothing to boast in when you're a pastor without a call. It's hard. But I could boast in this. I am known and valued and loved by Jesus. Jesus is enough. He is more than enough. And that, my friends, is a good thing for a preacher to personally believe the gospel for himself. For a pastor to personally believe that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Amen? Amen. As I look back at 2011, I can laugh with thankfulness, and here's why. I realized that my plan was to change my church, but God's plan was to change me. God's plan is so much better than our plans. In the same way, when God brings painful things into your life, God will use them for good. So when God's painful discipline comes into your life, don't despise it. Don't be devastated by it. But by faith, be developed by it as you endure it, as you submit to it, as you're trained by it, because it will conform you into the image of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we'll be honest with you. We hate it when your discipline comes into our lives. We hate it when anything inconvenient or unpleasant or hard or painful comes into our life. We'd rather not have any of it. We'd rather have you just let us live an easy, comfortable 
pain-free life. But thank you, Father, that you love us too much to ever love us the way we want to be loved. Thank you because you love us, truly love us. You will bring your loving and purposeful discipline into our lives so that we might become not only more dependent on Jesus, but more like Jesus, so that the beautiful work of sanctification might be done in our lives for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen.